Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. When we talked about task management in the last two weeks, we also briefly touched on decision-making. And Cam and I came to realize that decision-making really not only is its own episode, it's its own couple of episodes because being able to make good decisions and effective decisions and realizing when you're avoiding the act of making decisions is such a crucial part of good task and time management for those of us with ADHD. Today, we're going to keep it high level, just like we did with task management. We're going to discuss on a high level the ADHD impact on decision making. And then next week, we'll get into some nuts and bolts things that you can start to do to change your relationship with decision making. So with that being said, Cam, where do we want to start with the ADHD impact on decision making? There's so much here. There's absolutely so much here. And it's sort of surprising that here we are, episode 52, and we're focusing on decision-making. It's something we certainly could have addressed sooner. I think that upon reflecting on this topic and in talking with you, it's why our clients come to coaching. Yes, they come and it's often this, you know, help me get relief from this challenge, procrastination, distractibility. But as we dig in, more often than not, it's this realization that decision-making is such a challenge for me. And specifically, I want to make decisions where I feel good about the decision. That I think that there can be very low confidence around the decisions we do make. So a couple things. It's if there was sort of one thing where it's so taxing on the executive function area of the brain is decision making because there's a moment where you're weighing and contemplating, and considering, and reflecting. All these skills that are pulling on heavily on accessing memory, on maintaining attention. And so it's like the perfect storm. And it actually kind of, it tends to manifest in two ways that I see. So we're going to talk about the manifestation, and then we're going to tether it back to Mount Rainier and the lunch counter because it's just the perfect example to reinforce that, to get our clients back and acquainted with that. Sounding good? Yeah. Before we get started, I'd like to throw in a little rant, if I may. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So I think that the nature of the society that we live in does not help here because decision-making taxes executive function. It depletes executive function over time. So as a new homeowner, I've had to (laughs) go to Lowe's or Menards. Menards is like a bigger, crazier Lowe's for those that don't live in the Midwest. 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 Come to Menards. You're in the Midwest. It's like they literally have everything. Like I bought Ethernet cables there. You know, I bought tortilla chips there. It's a bigger, crazier Lowe's. But Every time I go in there to look for something, for example, I needed some caulk because my front door does not seal well. And I had a stink bug invasion in my living room my first week living in this house. It was terrible. So I go to the caulk aisle and it's a whole aisle, Cam. 
Oh, yeah. It is a whole freaking <laughs> aisle of cock. Like, how complicated can cock be? Well, apparently it can be very complicated. And it's not just the cock. It's every little thing I go to purchase for the house. You're faced with this wall of decision. And I feel like as a capitalistic society, the amount of choice we have now is almost toxic. Right. It's the, it's the elevation of convenience and choice. Absolutely. Yeah. And so to the point that I prefer to do my grocery shopping at Aldi because Aldi has one type of salsa, the Aldi brand. They have one type (laughs) of frozen corn, the Aldi brand. And so I can zip in and zip out and not spend my time laboring over decisions that in the long run are not going to have a big impact on my life, whether I choose A or B. And I can save some of that decision-making power for the things that really matter. Well said. And that was great insight into our experience around, you know, just getting through the day that how a wall of caulk can be absolutely paralyzing. Your words right there, a wall of decision-making. And so actually we'll dig in there around that specifically, again, how it might be manifesting for our clients. And also we'll look at kind of back to Cam and his own experience back to that seminal moment of not understanding the whole completion thing, not aware of completion mattered. And that there was a time when I was absolutely racked with indecision. That my day was basically one long indecision soap opera. And it was extremely taxing. And so I'll talk a little bit about about that. And then what did I do to move beyond that? Because yes, I still have the same challenges of like uh, right now, my bathroom is what anchor to use in the wallboard. What's the best way, right? To hang the towel rack. Where do we put the toilet roll holder? Centered under the window? Or it's really not convenient there. It's aesthetic there. It looks better there. But maybe it should be over a one-third out for convenience sake. (laughs) Okay, enough on that. Well, it's never ending as a homeowner, right? I'm currently suffering with how to place my office furniture now that I have my desk built. And I'm realizing that I need it to move like, I don't know, half a foot forward. But this thing is so heavy. Now I have to wait a week for people to be here again to help me. And I noticed this morning that that is trying to prevent me from doing some other unpacking tasks in this room because I don't have the desk perfectly positioned. So, man, decision is a beast. It just is a beast. Right. But you said it earlier, and the emphasis here for our listeners is it's saving bandwidth for the decisions that really count. Because we can get pulled off in so many different directions. And it's so hard because of that glitchy prioritizer is that the caulk will kind of present equally as, you know, what kind of mortgage am I going to get? Maybe not. That's an extreme example. But everything's coming and it presents very similarly with this sort of, and again, if we kind of approach it with this urgency then we're giving this attention to caulk, which we really should be saving for something else. And so that's the focus here is how do we do that? And specifically next week, when we talk about creating a meaningful workday, 
and kind of saving your decision-making bandwidth for the things that really matter. Okay. Ready to jump in? Absolutely. I think we've already already jumped jumped in, in, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready now, Shelly? Now? (laughs) Boy, I hope I'm ready because I think we're already in it, Cam. (laughs) Okay. As I said earlier, this is why our clients come to coaching. It's this kind of crushing indecision. And as I said, there's often two manifestations or a combination of these two. We're going to fold in ARC and six C's as we go along here. So one of them is the, again, we talk about the planner and the doer. We've already distinguished that. You can also break that down with the inattentive or cobbling together energy individual and the, and the impulsive hyperactive type or has too much energy. And so it may fall along these lines, but not necessarily. So listeners, it's just sort of like, what is your experience with decision-making? It might be one of these. It might be a combination. It might be something completely else. And that's why the beauty of Mount Rainier and this sort of broad landscape below the lunch counter at Manifestation. So Manifestation, one of them was, again, this was mine, is this, this sort of crippling indecision. What I would do is I would consider and contemplate and start to build out scenarios in my brain and then construct worlds and schemas around that. But guess what? It was just in my brain. It was all in my imagination. So when my wife came to me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm working. She said, no, you're not. That's what I was doing. I thought I was working. When in fact, what I was doing was I was constructing scenarios and I would start to commit and I would start to do the commitment dance, right? We talked about this with the six C's of curiosity, choice on the front side of commitment, and then creative in action, completion, celebration. So I would do that commitment dance. I'd say kind of like, I'm in. And then above the lunch counter is this desire to hunt for the greatest signal. We have this signal hunter. We're hunting for the greatest signal. And for me, the biggest signal and the dopamine kick that I would get was I would build this beautiful world kind of, and it became real for me because my imagination was second to none. And then I would commit to it, feel the dopamine of that commitment. And then I could put on the brakes because guess what? I didn't share it with anybody. It wasn't shared. It wasn't discussed. It wasn't taken into the outside world and tested. So we talk about this sort of a tendency of people with ADHD to kind of get locked into planning, thinking, awareness kind of in their head and not get to engage, to transition into doing, or you have the doers who tend to just do. So I was the inattentive type, cobbling together energy was my challenge. And I would build these worlds and then I would start to poke holes in that. And how, again, this is perfection. Well, it's not going to quite work. So I just stepped back. And that was what I did. And I never got to a real decision point. And here's the fascinating thing. I didn't even understand that decision was the problem. I thought it was procrastination. I thought it was distractibility. For 10 years, Shelly, I got my diagnosis in 1995 and in 2004, nine years later. I'm figuring out that decision-making is a challenge with respect and that ADD has something to do with it. Nine years. 
where I had no idea that this was impacting me in my ability to create a meaningful day and a meaningful life. Cam, I love where you ended up there because that phenomenon of not realizing that the challenge is decision-making or lack of decision-making is something that I've seen repeat over and over again, not just in my coaching work, but as an organizer prior to that too. I've brought up in the past working with clients on paper piles. Whenever they tend to have a lot of paper, what happens is they sit down, they shuffle through the stack, and they'll tell me what things are, but they're not moving it forward in any way. They're not deciding, I'm going to act on this. I'm going to recycle this. I'm going to save this recipe. I'm going to discard it. It just sits over and over again. For me, perfection is where I got caught in indecision. And I too didn't realize that that was what was happening. So back to my cock, there is a time that I would have just left the hardware store gone home and spent an inordinate amount of time researching the exact right way to seal up a door. And really, I didn't care if it was ugly. I can fix it later. I just didn't want the stink bugs in my living room. But there is a time that I would have backed all the way up, would have not bought anything to move the project forward. And that would have gone in the bucket of open projects for me to research and figure out how to do just so. Right. And that you talked about this open loop. We open the loop. And then we have those loops that are open and they're pulling off energy. And it's like, well, I'll just come back to it tomorrow because it's not urgent. It's an annoyance. It's a, it's a frustration of having stink bugs. We have stink bugs, but it's not something you absolutely have to do. And so you can kind of come back. This is a lunch counter thing here. And I would even argue that perfectionism is below the lunch counter in manifestation. How it presents how we experience it is perfectionism. How we experience it is this indecision. And so I, I want to I tether it to above the lunch counter and to just reiterate what this lunch counter thing is. Because lots of people are having interest in it. They're kind of taking it and running with it. They're adding things to it on the Discord. And that's great. But there's, there's something that I think is often lost in this barrier. So remember, Rainier are these four elements. It's at the top, in the middle, is the executive function little Rubik's Cube that is a little glitchy, emanates out in 360 degrees, and there's causation there up at the top of Rainier on the slopes. The slopes are icy. It's hard to get up there. People, when they go to Mount Rainier, the real one, they go, they get out, they take a picture, they get back in the car, and they go home. I got a picture. Or they might go, it's just an interesting thing. In national parks, people will, they will not go more than 100 feet from their car. Going to Yellowstone, they get out, oh, look, Buffalo, oh, Old Faithful. But they don't really go and explore. So if you really try to venture up beyond that lunch counter, this is what we're talking about here. Exactly, Cam. And it's so interesting that so much ADHD manifestation and where we want to create change no matter what the manifestation is, boils down to decision-making. You know, my clients who don't trust themselves, you brought that up earlier, who don't trust themselves to make good decisions go into hard avoidance. They find ways to avoid 
making decisions, but they don't realize that's what they're doing. They don't see the link between what they're not doing and the avoiding behavior and the fact that it's avoiding a decision. So, so much of where we want to create change and where our clients want to create change starts with learning how to make decisions. Right. So back to the lunch counter real quick. And the lunch counter is called that because there's the Rubik's cube, there's the causation, and then there's the manifestation out and away. And this is why decision-making is very different for different people. This is why it's 360 degrees. If Mount Rainier doesn't work for you, I've got another one for you. But the, the key fourth element of this, the glitchy Rubik's cube causation and effect is this barrier, a barrier, a formidable barrier between effect and cause. Shelly and I, for 52 episodes, have been telling you that one of the primary challenges of ADHD is about applying new learning. And the reason why that's hard is because there's a disconnect between cause and effect. The interesting thing about our wall is that there's a help desk there or a lunch counter. It's a place of service. This is where we set up shop to help people. They come up again. Like the tourist who comes to Rainier, they go out on the little nature path. Oh, nice. And they get what they need and they turn back. They turn back. This is what I did for 10 years when I got my diagnosis. Oh, you have ADD. Here, this will help you. Here are the symptoms, procrastination, distractibility. And they resonated with me. But then I stopped there. In a way, turning back. I took my meds. They worked. But I didn't realize this deeper challenge around the crippling effect of not making decisions. And so it was through my own process of learning this and coming to terms of like, oh, my wife is right in some way. I'm not contributing to the bottom line. So what is the breakdown point? And realizing, having the awareness that I wasn't completing. I wasn't completing thoughts, Shelley. You know? And so this is, again, decision-making Below the lunch counter is, it's the anxiety, it's the perfectionism, it's the indecision. Above the lunch counter at causation is this. Listen carefully. Hey, listeners, this is Cam. And you know what? It's happened. After 52 episodes, I've had to actually kind of pause an, an episode and modify or clarify what is about to happen. It is the day before it drops, and so we really didn't have a chance to redo the episode or to um, do some heavy editing. So I'm just going to introduce this disclaimer here. So I'm a bit careless in my use of words, and it, it happens, right? We're all human. But as I was doing some research and considering this, I realized that I use the term choice theory, and that choice theory really points back to um, one person's work. William Glasser and his work around choice and behavior. And it's a certain way of, of thinking, and I, I didn't mean to go in that direction. So when you hear choice theory, it's really more along the lines of what is happening in the brain cognitively with regards to choice. And it's at some level, it, it's very binary, the classic fork in the road, that the brain is making a basically a yes-no choice at some level. It's not that simple, that a lot is going on. It's very complicated. And I'm a coach. 
I'm a coach and I'm not a neuroscientist. And so this is my own moment of coming into uh, what they say, un- what we call unconscious incompetence. <laughs> I know just enough to do a lot of damage. So letting go of that idea of choice theory and really coming back to choice behavior and just the basic fundamentals of how we can miss these opportunities when we have ADD. The other thing is I use the term node, and I think that that's another careless use of language because nodes mean something in neurology, a part of the the brain structure. And what I mean by a node is just this choice point that you come to a choice point and there's basically a simple yes, no decision. And that's what I do know about the brain is the brain has this ability, again, to veto yes, no, yes, no all the time. But that, that's about the extent of what I know. And I'm going to be busy at work thinking about this and coming back in, in further episodes. So sorry about that. Little, a little insert here. And we'll try to do better as we go forward into our next year. All right. Back to the episode. So choice and choice theory is very simple. When we make a decision, we basically come to a fork in the road and there's two choices. And our brains tend to make 35,000 choices a day. That's how many decisions we're making. But it's basically the brain just comes to a node, a node, a little point. And it's like, okay, from here, I basically have two choices, yes or no. It's a vote, yes, no. Do I get the Do I get the white cock or do I get the clear cock? There's yes, no. But again, notice that there's many more of those. So, you know, the share this icon that you see. And so it's that dot with two dots. It's like a water bug on its side. In social media, when you share something, it's a little dot. That is basically what's happening, where you come up to that single node and you make a choice to go to the next two. When I was challenged by, I would commit, I would start to go to those next two, one of them, and I'd go back. Or I'd never quite get to that first node. We turn back. This is what's happening above the lunch counter at causation, people. Shelly, you could have gone in and said, you know what? I'm not going to make a decision today. So you stop. You don't make it to that point, that first node, and turn back. When I was constructing my worlds, I was just entertaining myself. I was entertaining and creating, but I never quite got to that place of making a decision because when you make a decision, you move your agenda forward. That's one manifestation. The other manifestation is this, and it's equally occurs in the sense of, remember, we struggle with process. This whole change thing and, and you know, creating change There are processes involved here. Choice theory is a process. And what we do is we don't see these little nodes, these moments to make a decision. So if we're kind of lit our rocket for the day, and we're kind of blasting through our day, we will often blast through these opportunities for making decisions. And we miss them. And then we, again, part of the recovery and the arc model is kind of like rebuilding all of the the damage we've done with the people around us. What? What did you do? You did what? Who said you could do that? Well, I assumed. Our brains want to mitigate. We get so frustrated with that avoiding the delay. And finally, we're just like, F it. Let's go. 
boom, damn the torpedoes. And we blast through these decision points because they're so taxing. So there are the two different manifestations that we tend to see. Planners tend to be the, again, hesitate getting into action. And so they stay on the near side of the decision point. Doers, to heck with it. I'm really tired of all this, you know, politics and bureaucracy and red tape. Let's just go forward, which might be the right thing in some cases, but we'll kind of blast through not seeing we're moving through these boundaries and choice points. That second manifestation, I often call living in reactive mode. It's not so much that you ever make a decision, you just get to a point where you're forced into a decision. You're forced into a way of doing things because now it's urgent. This is back to arc. So you're just reacting, reacting, reacting. And as a doer, well, I'm a combined type. So sometimes I can get stuck in the planner. Sometimes I can get stuck in the doer. But when I get stuck in the doer, I can definitely be stuck in that reactive mode where it's just reacting to what's coming in. And it feels really good because it feels really productive. But you're not at choice or decision there. If you're just allowing what's in front of you and what's loudest or what is annoying you the most to drive what you do, those are not true decisions. Do you know what the, the battle cry or the mantra of the uh, second manifestation is, Shelley? I do not, but I can't wait to hear what you have. Better ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah. Yep. That makes a lot of sense to me. And again, that I think it can be worthwhile. That's actually a good mantra for the planners to borrow. If you're kind of crippled, you know, in, in moving forward, that yeah, you maybe want to let it be easy, number one. Number two, but maybe I will ask for forgiveness instead of permission because we will take things to the nth degree. Like again, for me, back in 2003, it was sort of like, I thought I had to have the perfect plan. And as, I was asking for permission all over the place and never really exerting my own agenda. There was a courage thing, having the courage to do that, the confidence. But I also think it was a lack of understanding that decision-making was my number one dilemma. The planners that I work with, it seems to me that their big crux is doing it right. They want to do it right. And they want to know that other people know that they're doing it right. There's just a lot of concern with that. And so I agree with you. Borrowing the mantra of better to ask for forgiveness is a really good thing for planners, but it can be taken too far. And those of us that get stuck in the doer can take it too far. So I love, I love that you brought that up. And those of you who get stuck in the planner, think about where that I need to do it right is inhibiting your decision making. The other thing I want to say today, I know we're coming up on time. I think, you know, and this is why listening to past episodes is so helpful when you tune in for this one. What are the bigger elements? that inform your decision-making. Because for me, during that 10-year span of being diagnosed and not understanding that my problem was decision-making, I thought the problem was me. And my thinking was two things. I'm not doing this right. And, ready for this one? 
I'm ready. I am responsible for what people are thinking of me. That was my MO. I'm not doing this right. And I'm responsible for what people are thinking of me. So where's my attention? Where's the signal? The signal is trying to like correct that, you know? And finally, one of my peer coaches was like, what are you doing? What a waste of time. People are, they can, they're going to have their opinion, Cam. I was trying to like make everyone like me, like me, (laughs) thinking that was the end goal. When I let go of that and realized, well, wait a sec, what is the opportunity? What's the bigger why that I need to push forward? What's the why that's informing my what? Going back to the last two weeks around task management, having that compelling context. And it's when we get clear on that, then our decision-making process becomes easier. Oops, I hope that I hope you were done with your sentence before my it's phone okay. made a noise. I think it's okay if it's in there. Because <laughs> I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, okay then, Cam. Okay. I'm, All right. I'm, I've made my decision. <laughs> so again, great articulation of the experience being stuck in the planner, Cam. And on the doer side, kind of the same thing, but manifesting differently, wanting people to like me and therefore responding to other people's urgency. My last job before I became self-employed was literally responding to everyone else's urgency. That was my role. And I was really good at it, but it was really super unhealthy because I was always on adrenaline high alert for eight hours a day, every day juggling the priorities of 15 to 20 people. So, and there you are chasing or hunting the biggest signal. Yep. So often it's the signal there of like validation, being helpful, helping others. And we will often put others needs before our own because we're externally wired. For me, my biggest signal was inside my brain. It was internal. I would sit in class and just entertain myself and class would go by in five minutes. So listeners, there's a lot here to digest, but start with the signal. Like, where's the signal for you? Okay. We haven't even gotten to the real part or another part about above the lunch counter is this, again, the activation thing, right? Of moving from the planning stage into the doing to activate what we're doing is we're coping there. We delay and we stay in in planning and thinking. And so we'll talk about that next week, but start with what's the signal that you're hunting and just pay attention. What kind of a hold does it have on you? What do you make up about it? What's the meaning that you make up around that signal? And it might be really valuable, okay? But also to think about, How is it impacting your decision-making to kind of just start to look at decision-making and see that as one of our primary challenges that's happening on the inside? Cam, I love that as a starting place. And I just have one little thing to add that's helped me over the years recognize where decision-making is the primary challenge that I need to look at. And that is when I'm struggling, when I'm stuck, when I'm standing in front of a wall of caulk, 
I ask myself, will a decision help here? Will a decision, will making a decision serve me well here? So whatever your dilemma is, that's a good way to check in. Is it indecision at the heart of this? I love that because you're asking a question, you're prompting, you're making that little node, like it's a node moment, right? Is this sort of like a decision moment? Hey, is there a decision to be made here? And I think that's really helpful also for the doers, right? Where they're going along. We're not asking both parties to become the other. It's just to add a little bit from each. So as the doer, as you're going along to just tap the brakes and consider, is there a decision that I'm missing that I just passed by? I could maybe check in with some folks, utilize some resources, an opportunity to translate. Well said, Cam. I think that's a good point for us to wrap for today. So if you like what we're doing here on the show, there are a couple of big ways that you can help us out. Number one is to leave a rating and review wherever you listen. Oh, I got a rant real quick. Okay. The last Apple review, June people, 2020, June. So I'm just not a rant. Sorry. Request. Request somebody, someone, make a decision and go leave a review for us. Okay. And, and, hopefully, it's a ni- and hopefully it's a nice review. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm loving your aggressive request, Cam. I know. Yes. Again, or yeah, aggressive then. Whoa, pull back. Easy does it, boy. But yes, reviews do help people find the show. So if the show is helping you help someone else, if you have the bandwidth to do so by leaving a review. Thank you. If you have the bandwidth. yes. The next way is to become a patron of the show. You can do that by visiting the website, translatingadhd.com. Click on the Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner. Support the show for $5 a month. And that also gives you access to our Discord community full of people talking about the show. ADHD challenges, providing accountability for each other with Cam and I chiming in when we can. So until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening.